is Jason Lee, pastor Casper Lion Church. This is week 12 of our series on Revelation, and we've turned a corner. We're done with all the bad stuff, and we're going to start talking about uh, what, what's going to happen when God starts to put things back into order. Thanks for listening to this week. I hope you enjoy it. If you'd like to know more about Casper Lion Church, you can check us out at casperchurch.com, or you can download our app. So all you have to do is go to your app store on your phone or your tablet, look for Casper Lion Church, or download us there. You can also follow us on socials, facebook.com forward slash Casper Lion Church, or instagram.com forward slash Casper Church. Hey, have a great week. We're going to be in Revelation 19. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to preach first or preach. um, I'm going to preach for a little bit. And let's have a connection here, Bride. When the clock hits 1140, I need you to go. Okay? I'll always look at you. You're my wife. I need you to do it for real. Because here's what's going to happen. Um... This morning, we're going to read Revelation 19. I'm going to read it to you. And I want, I want us to, um, what we're going to do today as a church family is, is our little micro-expression of what's happening on a macro level in Revelation 19. Not planned. None of it was planned. It all just kind of came together this way. I'm telling you, I'm not disorganized. To where when we look at Revelation 19 and we read it, there's a, a handful of things happening in it that are critical for the future and life of the church. It is an expression of what the church of Jesus Christ experiences on a, on a very personal, vibrant, real way. And so when we read it, I need you to capture, like we're going to do all this sort of thing. So we've always talked, we talk in, uh, around it in church, like there's this uh, marriage supper, supper of the Lamb where the church and Jesus come together and they dine together. They eat together. They, they celebrate victory together. We're going to have a dinner. We're going to have lunch together as a church family. That's pretty wild. The first part of this, this uh, Revelation passage, 19, is all about singing hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise and praise and praise of what God is doing. And, and frankly, I, I asked Hannah, I was like, what, what are your, what's your worship set? for this particular Sunday. And she's like, I have a plan. Here's what it is. And I said, I, I said, you said, tell me the songs. And she told me the songs. I'm like, that's good. And she's like, well, what do you want to do? I can change it. I can adapt. I can do what you want. I guess you're the pastor. Do you want to tell me to do something different? I'll try to submit to that a little bit. But do what you... And I was like, no, you said the right songs. I just wanted the words hallelujah in the songs this morning. They're in the songs this morning. Communion is a communion we're going to celebrate as a church when worship is over. Uh, uh, and I'm going to introduce communion here in a second as part of what we're doing. Communion is, again, um, a small taste of the marriage supper of the Lamb. So here's the deal I'm going to give you the main point of this morning. And it's going to be a secular phrase that we've said before, you've heard said before eat, drink, and be merry. Jesus comes in this chapter and the point of it is eat, drink, and be merry. Now when we apply our secular humanism concepts to that, it means all sorts of different things. But let me assure you, the God, Creator of heavens and earth, 
wants His people to celebrate, to be merry, to, to enjoy good food and good drink together, to celebrate at the table together. If we were to do, and we're going to do this next year, I'm really excited. In fact, four tastes of the Easter Holy Week series. There are four symbols of Jesus. One of the important symbols that Jesus brings to the world is the table. To where around a meal, around, around uh, food, there is a spiritual happening happening. And the table is a critical part of the mission of Christ. And the end, to end the end of all ends, <laughs> Revelation, the final kind of thing that happens here before we kind of roll downhill into eternity is a meal together. The church with its, bri- with its groom, the bridegroom, coming to the table and enjoying good food, good drink, and the celebratory nature, the thanksgiving feast. Praise God for what you did and how you protected us and how you took us through this great tribulation and how, frankly, the beast has been conquered. And so this morning as a church family, not planned, again, we're going to celebrate with food. We're going to celebrate the table, the bread, the wine. We're going to worship and sing hallelujah praise to the King. This is a snapshot into eternity. One of my favorite things about going on a cruise is just food. I don't know if if I physically reflect that or not in your eyes. I like food a little bit. Just a little bit. It is... There's something that's so beautiful about having a good meal with people. And I kind of look at at heaven as like this cruise (laughs) of just endless whatever. And a little side story about cruises, which some of you might hate them. I just love them. But we, I've talked about this before. We have an older child who um, doesn't always listen, plays on his phone during church. I just called him out in real time if you weren't paying attention. <laughs> but Caleb, Caleb has severe food allergies. You know this. He, he's allergic to nuts and tree nuts. One of the best experiences that we've had in our, in our lifetime was being on a cruise ship in the middle of the ocean and having a chef come to our table and say, what do you want to eat? And Caleb's saying, I want that. And he goes, all right, I'll be right back with it. You don't understand how amazing of an experience that is when somebody has food allergies. And a parent who has like, hyper-protected their kid for 15, 12 years at that point, and they get to choose what they want to eat and just go, I want this. And the, the, the elation, the joy, the excitement into digging into a chocolate lava cake, or deer meat, or swordfish, or crab legs, or some sort of other bizarre thing. That, there's, an, there's just like a, wow, this is amazing. This, I'm going to read it here in about three minutes. This experience in Revelation 19 is that permanently for everyone. I told you that we would turn a corner. We've been in Bad News City for like the last, I don't know, 10 weeks. This is a 12-week series. 
And we've, for 10 weeks, we've been talking about all the bad things. And I've been yelling at you about repent and how God, God is uh, sovereign. And how that, and, and, whatever. God, that God is trying to get you to turn and to repent. Now here, I'm going to encapsulate this. Remember why Re- Revelation is written. Six reasons. I've said it probably out of the 12 weeks. I've said it nine different times. Revelation's written very specifically for a very specific reason. And G.K. Beale said it this way, it can't mean for them what it, it can't mean for us what it didn't mean for them. It can't mean for us what it didn't mean for them. So it was written to them for us. First century church receives this letter from John. John begins to talk crazy talk through like 10, 15 of the chapters. But remember, when they're reading it, a first century reader is consuming it and they have an understanding of it and it's informed by all of the scripture they've already read. There is nothing new in Revelation. It's not new information. It is clearly grabbed from all over the Bible. The Bible has already said what Revelation says. Now, it's written for six reasons. I'm going to tell you right now. Revelation is to promote the sovereignty of God, that God is in control, that God is driving the ship, that God manages, controls, takes care of everything that God allows evil to happen. And it says it multiple times through the, like, chapter, like four, or chapter 6 through like 10 that God released or God allowed or God, God had this happen. Or in this particular situation, uh, these people were protected. God's hand and, and care and plan and purposes are being carried out in all of this. He is in control. He is sovereign. Revelation's written for the reader to go, yes, God is in control. And he is going to run this thing, and I'm going to participate. What we get in this last chapter we read last week, Revelation 18, that Revelation is written to show the futility of evil, the futility of Satan, the end of evil, the end of the beast. The end of everything that's bad. Evil is going down. Revelation's written to show and to promote and to teach the centrality of Jesus Christ. That this is what this is all about. Regularly we, we get images and pictures of Jesus entering the scene. The question John asks at the beginning of the book, who is, who is worthy to open this? And Jesus is like, like the Kool-Aid man comes running through the wall and says, it's me. I can do it. I'm going to open it. And then unleashes all that's in the judgment. So Revelation's written to see and to grab the centrality of Christ. Revelation's written, and we've talked about this like over and over, and I've repeated myself a lot, to, to teach you, to show you, to let the reader in, to, to encourage the first century church that there's a cosmic battle, good and evil, going against each other, and you are in it, and you should be participating. You do not get to ride, you are not the Switzerland of evil and good. You don't get to just ride the line and wait for it all to, to kind of like happen. You have to choose a side. You're going to be required to choose a side. And God continually gives evil an opportunity to repent, an opportunity to change sides, to go back on the other side. Remember, we, we, if you were here, we talked about this line, and we can see everything evil on this side of the line. And God is continually asking the church and us and, and even himself through the judgments to say, Come over here. Come over here. In multiple chapters, we, we read that evil refused to repent and they doubled down on their evil over and over and over again. Revelation is written to remind us that we're part of this fight that's happening. Good versus evil. It exists and it's around us. Revelation is written to encourage and persever- for the perseverance of the saints. 
the first couple chapters, three chapters of Revelation is talking to the church as John's writing to the church and Jesus, Jesus uh, is, is saying, giving com- commendation and rebuke to the church, but the theme that runs through it is that if you conquer and you triumph over this age, you will receive your great reward. We're going to read about the great reward here in just a second. Revelation is written finally to focus on worship. These last two things, uh, your, your triumphs or perseverance of the saints, this is why we do it, what we're going to read here in a second, and worship. So let's look at it. Revelation 19, here we go. My subtitle says, The Song of Victory in Heaven. After this, I heard it, and I remember the beast. The beast has been destroyed. Um, Babylon's over. Babylon has been... The human construction of evil is gone, and heaven rejoices. After this, I heard the sound, what sounded like a vast crowd in heaven shouting, Praise the Lord, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. His judgments are true and just. He has punished the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality. He has avenged the murder of his servants, and again their voices rang out, Praise the Lord, the smoke from that city ascends forever and ever. Again, we're singing that song. They're singing that song. It doesn't rhyme. I bet it's pretty hard. It's like an A.B. Simpson hymn, if you follow along with those. Then, then the 24 elders and the four living beings fell down and worshipped God, who was sitting on the throne. They cried out, Amen, praise the Lord. We read, if you were in Sunday school today, adult Sunday school, we read Daniel 7. And Daniel 7, Daniel gets a vision, a picture of what this throne can look like or what it could look like, where the, where the Ancient of Days is sitting on it, a throne of fire. And here we see the elders. We see in heaven this happening. And there's this throne. And they cried out, Amen, praise the Lord. And from the throne came the voice that said, Praise our God, all His servants, all who fear Him from the least to the greatest. Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd, a roar of mighty ocean waves, or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice. Let us give honor to Him, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and His bride has prepared herself. The table has been set for the church and Jesus to unite in fellowship over dinner. She has given the finest of pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words that come from God. Then I fell down at His feet, to worship him. But he said, no, don't worship me. I am a servant of God, just like you and your brothers and your sisters who testify about their faith in Jesus. Worship only God, for their essence, for the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus. Now grab that. It's a clear witness for Jesus. The essence of prophecy, the essence of revelation, is to give a clear picture of who Jesus is. John is saying very clearly to anyone reading, the whole point of this, the whole point of what we're doing is to give a clear picture, a clear picture and witness of who Jesus is. Let's not be confused about the purpose and the centrality of Jesus Christ. Then I saw heaven open, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for the, he judges fairly and, the wages, and wages a righteous war. That is a hard thing to say. Wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and his head were many crowns, and a name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his 
title was The Word of God. The armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a winepress. On his robe at the thigh was written the title, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, shouting to the vultures flying high in the sky, Come, gather together the great banquet of God has prepared. Come and eat the flesh of kings, generals and strong warriors of horses and their riders, and all of humanity, both free, slave, small and great. Now you're like, am I supposed to be excited about this meal now all of a sudden? What, this is what we're eating? We're eating. Get the picture here. Everything that God is victorious over, all of, all of the thing is consumed by fire and it's laid before us as a feast offering for us to enjoy because we persevered, because we sustained, because we triumphed over evil. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast, miracles that deceived all who accepted the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Their entire armies were killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding with the white horse. And the vultures all gorged themselves on the dead bodies. What a beautiful sight. And you know what we're supposed to do? The church is supposed to yell, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! See, one time in my life, I ran a 5K. One time. And as I got to 2.9 miles, 3.0 miles, 3.05 miles, my body was going, this is the dumbest decision you've made in, in multiple years. You've never done anything this ridiculous. This is, this is a poor choice. Why are you persevering through this? To, there, no cookie... And chocolate milk is worth this. No silly metal is worth this. There is nothing at the end of this silly thing that can, can make me feel like this moment right now that I'm experiencing is worth it. And I will assure you, when I got to the finish line, I was right. It wasn't worth it. That cookie tasted gross. The banana was awful. And, and I didn't have the joy of finishing because I wasn't that joyful about finishing. Everybody's like, yeah, do it. And they're cheering you and you're handing you like Gatorade along the way and you're like, you're dumb. You should be with me. Like you're yelling at people. That's what we consider first world struggle. That's why we're able to go, yeah, let's throw it on the sidelines and it doesn't really matter. That's first world kind of problem. And, and that's what we've tuned in to say, this is our struggle. And you hear stories of all of these like, ooh, I struggle through this. The struggle is real. And we'll make silly memes about this like very infantile, lazy, like poor struggle. And I need you to understand this. 
This, that's not struggle, my little complaining about a 5K. The culmination of the end of the age, what the church, the martyrs of the church, what the world has been through since Adam and Eve entered and ushered evil in by defying God, that long thousands and thousands and thousands of years of, of journey and war and famine and death and abortion and all of the horrible things that have happened since day three or five or nine till now is coming to a close. You bet we're going to feast on the dead corpses of all those who fought against us. What's happened is, is we've simplified and we've lowered and we've decreased what perseverance really looks like. We've caused ourselves to be, to be like weakened. And this is the whole point of the book of Revelation. It's to persevere and fight through this garbage. Because from the beginning of sin, you have been an enemy to the enemy of enemies. And all that Satan wants to do is continue to bring you on his team and suck you to this side so that you do not get to experience what this victory looks like. See, continually evil can, will blind us and, and, and cover us and we'll think that we're doing well and we'll think that it's right. But the point is, is evil loses. And we've been so like skewed, we don't even know what evil is half the time anymore. We have, we have no understanding. So we, here's the thing. We reimagine things. We reimagine gender. We reimagine marriage. We reimagine parenting. We reimagine leadership structures. We reimagine everything to fit our comfort so we don't have to deal with the fight that is existing. And I promise you this. The victory at the end of persevering through all of this reimagined garbage for tens of thousands of years is sweet. And this is why the whole point of this is eat, drink, and be merry. You made it. It's not a banana at the end of a 5K. That's nothing. And for all of you runners out there that love that kind of stuff, good. There was a time in my life where I thought completing, and this is for real conversation, an Xbox game like on the hardest difficulty was a real achievement. Is there anybody in here besides like four of us who have played Xbox in our lifetime? Right? When I hit 100, I'm talking to the three of you guys right here. <laughs> when I hit 100,000 on my gamer score, I thought it was awesome. There's only three of us that understand what I'm saying right now. That was a huge achievement for me. I'm going to come to this side because there's somebody who paid the price of that. <laughs> I said the hardest point in our marriage, I think in our history of our marriage, was that when I was trying to achieve a 100,000 gamer score. Think about that. I've perverted my personal achievement with the destruction and pain of my most prized earthly possession, my bride. How easy it is for us to slide into those places and to confuse and to alter and to reimagine and to reimagine what's really important. I've confessed it from the front multiple times. I say it again. I'm, I'm so sorry, Adrian. I missed so many opportunities. 
to build on a marriage as opposed to like, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna beat Call of Duty too on veteran mode, legendary mode, or whatever. See, understand this. Satan is trying to lull us to sleep so that we reimagine everything. We forget the fight that we're in. And I think John comes in after the battle, after Armageddon, after he just glosses over all of this stuff, after the beast and the mark of the beast, and does all this stuff, and he he comes right in and says, Remember! You're invited to this feast. You're invited to the celebration. You have persevered. Come, eat, drink, be merry with your people because you you made it to the end. You are the bride of the rider of the white horse. You are the bride. All of this was for you. See, what happens is we, we as a church need to continue to construct our worldview around Revelation 19. Evil loses. Do you want to be invited to the dinner or not? I want our church and the people that we interact with to have so much FOMO about this awesome meal of dead kings and armies (laughs) that we are so fired up to invite people to it. Invite people to it. Come to the table. Come to the table. Come share a meal with me. Let's drink the good food and the good wine and, the, and the, everything that the Lord has provided and, and be merry before Him because we have persevered. That's the story of Revelation. We get caught up in the vast majority of it because, I mean, I, I think we're supposed to be reminded and we're enticed to participate in it, to understand the consequences if you don't. Like, repent and turn toward the Lord, we get to experience all that is awful. We get to experience bloody rivers and sores and a third of the population dying and fighting for food and and only earning a day's wage and bread. Listen, I'm probably only, I'm the only one in this room has the kind of job where it's worth it to show up for a day's wage being a loaf of bread. I love what I do and it's probably only worth a day's loaf of bread. Right? But you guys, your jobs are awful for a a loaf of bread. Think about how bad your job would be if at the end of the day you were given a loaf of bread. And not good bread. Like the kind of bread I make. That is just like a rock that like didn't form well. There's no fluff to it. And it's not tasting great either. Because I forgot like six ingredients and I cooked it before the yeast was active and it just turned into a big mess. It's worth it to fight through this. The whole point is to eat, drink, and be merry. You've been invited into the rest. Thank you. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to practice that. The next two chapters, three chapters of Revelation. We have two weeks on Sundays, and then Revelation 22 will be on Christmas Eve. told you last Christmas. We're going to talk about the millennium next week. I'm going to point out some of the theological perspective of the millennium, but we're downhill. We get to experience the good things. We won the war. We battled. There's one last note that I think is really important for you to capture here. John doesn't take time to explain what happened in this fight. It's just this assumed victory when the horse comes riding on the clouds and the white horse rider and has a sword in his mouth, we win. 
I'm not going to explain the details of how or why or other than just we do. We win. Now, I know that that's been some of our revelation theology for a long time. Hey, it doesn't matter. We win. But what I want us to, again, be reminded is this book is beautiful. This, this book in, in, in the Bible is beautiful for us to be encouraged, to be excited, to be passionate about jumping into the fight, because we can say with great authority, we win. We win. 